0: Okay, so brand new series, and I am really excited about it because we're going to, obviously, we're going to be focusing in on, on Jesus. Before we get into it, I want to ask you a question, but I don't want to ask you the question. I want you to ask yourself the question. So the question that I want you to ask yourself is, why do I follow Jesus? Don't say anything out loud, but just in your own heart right right now. And, and I know some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not following Jesus, Doug. Okay, so answer that question. Why do am I not following Jesus? Whichever one fits you. Why am I following Jesus? Or why am I not following Jesus? Now let's start with the first one. Why am I following Jesus? If we were to tell the truth and people spoke out loud in the room, I think I could predict some of the answers that we would hear. For some of us, the reason we follow Jesus is because we grew up in a Christian home. We were born to Christian parents. It's our family. It's our tradition. It's heritage. And so we went to church and we learned the things and we got baptized and and we've been going to church ever since, and we haven't really given it all too much more questions. It's kind of like family identity. It's who we are. It's part of of our DNA. Now, a related answer would be it's because my friends do. I have a group of friends, and they're all following Jesus, and so I follow Jesus with them, right? And this is especially true, like in that high school, middle school age, if you've got a group of Christian friends, that's an awesome thing, and you follow God together for some of us if you tell the truth i follow jesus because my spouse does and early our dating they told me he told me that he was a follower of christ and i said yeah me me too and so now i'm following christ because i said i was in the very beginning and so i'm not that serious about it but i'm i am that's why it's i would never disrupt our marriage by by not following jesus for some of us a related answer again is it keeps the peace my grandma's heart would be broken if I left the church, if I wasn't following Jesus, my grandfather would disown me. Everybody in the family, they'd run an intervention is what would happen. And so i just keep the peace by following Jesus and, and, and i go to church and all those kinds of things. Now, all of those answers I just gave you basically fall under one category. The category is this, I follow Jesus because my group follows Jesus the people I hang with, the people I'm associated with. If I would have been born in a Muslim family, I'd, I'd be Islamic. If I was born in a Jewish family, I'd be Jewish. I just happen to be born in a Christian family, and so I'm a Christian. I just happen to marry a Christian woman, so I'm a Christian, or a Christian man, so I'm a, I'm a Christian. My friends are Christians, and, and that's why I follow Jesus. all about some kind of group. Now let's reverse the question. Let's go to why people walk away from faith. Why people don't follow jesus and i'm not going to come up with all the answers but i'm going to give you a few of them and maybe some of this will be you'll relate to it so i think a large category of the answers to this question why people aren't following jesus is because christians are so something right well what could they be well christians are so unloving and spe- mean-spirited right now let's just tell the truth about that i've been a christian for a long time i've been in church for a long time can i just tell you i've met a lot of christians and some of them are unloving and mean-spirited. I've experienced that in the body of Christ. Oh, no. But it's true. Some of you aren't all that nice. <laughs> you know who you are. All right. Um, <laughs> right? It's one, but when people feel that, they go, ah, you know, no, I'm not going to stay in this group. Look at these people. Right? Christians are so hypocritical. They say one thing and then they do another. And by the way, this is true of every Christian group. Every Christian group is full of... We have very, very high standards that we can't live up to. And there's always a gap. And when you feel the gap, you'll go, these people are hypocritical. I don't even know why I hang out with these people. So let me just set the record straight. We are messed up people. And we're going to talk about the ideals of Christ and we're going to fail to live up to them. And there's going to be a tension with that. But it's a tension in every group of people. Everybody has high ideals and don't live up to them. It's just with Christians, we put the word Jesus and we're supposed to, and so you struggle more because you have high expectations of us. And I don't want you to lower your expectations. I want to reach them. But I can just tell you, this room is full of hypocrites. I know these people, right? Christians are so narrow-minded. We are slow to change. We are slow to widen up. We get stuck in ruts, and that's, that's true of the church. We're just now adopting new music, because we were stuck in the 80s. I mean, it's that kind of, it's really hard to let go of that organ. It took for a long time to do, you know, it's all those kinds, Change changes very, very hard. We're narrow-minded, we're stuck in our in our ruts. Christians are so intellectually unsatisfying. Right? There's a whole bunch of us that go, you know what, here's the problem with Christians. None of them know why they believe. You ask them some questions, and they go, well, you know I, know, I don't know. And they talk gobbledygook and Greek and point out verses, but I just want them to be a straight answer to why they believe what they believe and how can you believe that about Jesus and why would you believe and they don't think it through enough to give me satisfying answers and for some people they walk away from the faith because they go I need something a little deeper I need something a little more intellectually honest than what I'm experiencing right? people walk away because their new group doesn't follow Jesus right? by the way this is youth pastor fear talk youth pastors all these kids are following Jesus but when they go to college what are we afraid of We're afraid of them falling away. Why are we afraid? Is it because of all the intellectual things that are coming at them? Well, that's part of the deal. We haven't prepared them necessarily. But you want to know the biggest reason they fall away? Because their old friends are not their new friends. And their new friends don't need Jesus. And their new friends seem happy enough without Jesus. Their new friends are on the college campus and they're living this life where they seem like they're having all the fun that we never got to have back in that old group. And so we go to that new group and we go, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to leave you with my old friends. And so suddenly, our young people go to college and they come back and they go, I don't believe that anymore. It's not intelligently satisfied. They've got all these reasons, but if you get down to the bottom line, it's that their new people are not like their old people following Jesus. They were never following Jesus in the first place. They were just following a group. Boy, that's the danger, isn't it? Even if it's, we're, we're Christians because our family is, we're just following a group instead of Jesus. Are we Christians because our spouse is? Well, we're just following our spouse, not Jesus. And, and, and that's kind of the tension. Are we following Jesus or are we following a group now some people say the reason i'm not a christian the reason i'm not following jesus is because christians have such a dark history and they they point out things like the inquisition right and the crusades and they point out how many people have died in the name of christ and our and our christian holy wars throughout time and we don't relate to that too much because we're not involved in those kind of battles right now and by the way there is some really dark history right and it's a really great point they're raising up but it still comes back to christians aren't acting like jesus Right? So it comes back to being hypocrites. It comes back to being mean-spirited. Only this time we do it with swords. Right? Some people aren't following Jesus because they'll say, I got hurt. I was following Jesus, but that pastor let me down. I was following Jesus, but that small group hurt my feelings. I was following Jesus, but that person hurt me. And when that person hurt me, I left the church and I left Jesus and I said, it's full of hypocrites and people who hurt others and they're mean-spirited. But the bottom line to it, I got hurt. And so I left. And some of us have left Jesus because it didn't work. We prayed really hard for mom with cancer, prayed, prayed, prayed for healing, and she died of cancer. I started to follow Jesus. I thought I was going to be happier, and my life wasn't happier. I thought I was going to be wealthier, and my life wasn't wealthier. I thought I was going to be healthier, and I wasn't healthier. God allowed all kinds of bad things to come into my life, and Christianity doesn't work. And what I'm going to tell you just real quick is be careful what you're told about Christianity and what you believe about following Jesus because it's not all true. All the things I just said aren't promises Jesus made to you, that you'd be healthier, wealthier, and happier. It's just not true. And it's not true for everybody. It's true for some of us. And yes, we find joy in Christ, but we're not all happy. And some of us have mood disorders, even though we follow Jesus. It's, it's just false promises. So the thesis of this series, the thesis of this series, what I want us to wrestle with is why we follow Jesus. And I'm going to put out the thesis statement, and we're going to write it all the way to the end. It's this. The only reason the only real reason the only best reason whatever you want to say there because i know you have our false reasons the only reason to follow jesus is jesus if you're going to follow jesus i hope the answer is i follow jesus because of jesus because what i know about him because of what i've read about him because of how he's revealed himself to me and by the way conversely the opposite one the only reason not to follow jesus i hope is jesus right so this is kind of high stakes because we're not going to play church this series. We're not going to go, hey, you should believe because I believe, because that would be group mentality. You should believe without any reasons, because that would be just settling for potentially stories that are being told and not the t- truth. You're allowed to ask those questions. You're allowed to ask any questions, because at the end of the day, what I pray for this church is that we are a group of people who follow Jesus because of Jesus. Right. So that's why we're calling it Checking Out Jesus. So we're going to be really digging into the four Gospels. So if you, if you have your Bibles or if you can open your phone to about the middle of your phone, just a little bit past, you'll come to the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. Right? And so that's where we're going to hear those, those four authors wrote about Jesus so that we could make a decision about Jesus. Right? So we're going to be taking a look at Jesus to make my decisions about Jesus. And I have to ask you to do one more little intellectual exercise. This is this. I want you to keep a separation between church and Jesus, between followers of Jesus and Jesus. Here's why we don't follow Jesus well. So when you start pointing out that, the, that my struggle with is the church, me too. The struggle with the, the mean spirited people, me too. I don't like them very much. I keep just praying they get better. Right? Or if you tell me it's because of the dark history, I get it, those are things. But, but don't judge Jesus by his followers because we're not very good at it. Right? If, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't true because his followers aren't good. I, and I know we're his witnesses. We're just not great at it. And we're never going to measure up. You'll always find the flaws. You'll always find the meanness, the hate, the narrow-mindedness, the, the poor intellectual work that we do. But, but check out Jesus. The invitation of the series is actually the invitation of the people who wrote the Bible in the first place. I'm talking about the Gospels now, who wrote the Gospels. It is for us to check out Jesus. That's why they wrote it down. That's why they put it together. The four Gospels are not a bland, oh, and here's the history of Jesus. You should probably know these things so you can pass catechism or confirmation or whatever it is. That's not the goal. The goal of the authors was, I want these people to know what happened. I want these people to discover the Jesus that I knew. And the only way that I can do that at this particular time in history is to write it down. And so many people wrote things down. We have four copies, or not four copies, we have four Gospels in our Bibles. These were the best of the best. There were other stories told, some of them very suspect stories, some of them are crazy stories. There's stories about Jesus like turning mud when he's a little kid, like three years old, into doves or something and they're flying away. It's there's bizarre stuff like that out there in ancient literature. There's so much ancient literature about Jesus. Well, it kind of makes sense. It was a world-changing event, a life changing event, the dead coming back to life, the story of Jesus. That people wrote it down. That would make sense if it really happened. But but of the copies and the things that were preserved the most, it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those became incorporated into our Bible. I'm not going to talk about that process, but they got the stamp of approval and became what's called canonized in our Bibles that we carry around with us today. So those four authors, right, they knew because Jesus said he was coming back again. He said when, Jesus, coming back soon. They were going, well, next week, next month, next year. But then the years started to go by, and all of a sudden they're going, wow, Jesus' idea of soon isn't the same as ours, is it? And so I said, we, we're going by word of mouth. We've got these witnesses here. We've got to write this stuff down because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So then that's part of the motivation for writing it down is so it could be spread and shared eas- more easily, but also preserved, which is phenomenal. And I'll tell you why it's so phenomenal. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But here's what they knew. They knew that others would need reliable accounts of what they had seen and experienced. Right? This is a huge thing. I know you just carry around your Bible and maybe it weights down part of your desk sometimes and it gets a little dusty and you, ah it's hard to read. But, but the Bible is, gives us reliable accounts of what those people saw and experienced and how they perceived Jesus. Right now, I believe it was inspired. I believe God motivated them and guided the words. Um, but at least... They're incredible historical documents. The authors were either witnesses or they interviewed witnesses. People who saw Jesus firsthand. People who saw Jesus crucified and Jesus come back to life. And by the way, with Christianity, that's where everything rides, on the resurrection. We're going to run this series right into Easter, like I said, so we'll talk more about that. But the Gospels were written by either eyewitnesses or people people actually followed Jesus or they had interviewed and they'd done their homework. Their motivation was to tell others what happened so that they could believe and follow Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you are reading a persuasive document. They wrote it with the idea of, at the end of it, you'll bow in need of Jesus. At the end of it, you'll go, if this really happened, this changes the world. This changes changes everything. So I'm going to give you an introduction today to all four Gospels. We're going to look at some of the passages, but not from Matthew. So let me start with Matthew, because we're going to go in order that you find them in the Bible, which is not the order they were written. Okay, so Matthew, which wasn't the first account written, Matthew was a disciple of, of Jesus. You probably knew that. He was formally, before Jesus, a tax collector which is sort of like saying he's scum of the scum. He's low low down. If our tax collection in the United States worked where the tax collector came to your house on April 15th, you wouldn't be home on April 15th. You would dig a trap, a booby trap, they'd fall down. You'd, Oh, sorry, you're a tax collector. We don't like... Who likes tax collectors? Nobody does. And the same thing, only it was worse because they were collecting taxes not for the government we all believe in, but they were collecting taxes for Rome, the enemy, the occupying state. And And we are peons underneath them but yet they're soaking us for our money and Matthew was lining his own pockets because that's how you make your living you've got to collect more this is called a profit margin you've got to collect more than you've got to pay in Rome so that you have a living that's how he got paid so that was kind of what was taking place the Jews did not like their Jewish tax collectors they were looked at as traitors right so this is not allowed in the temple not embraced by the Pharisees the religious community they were kind of almost outsiders and when Matthew writes He connects Jesus first to Judaism, because Jesus was Jewish, but that's where all the prophecies came from. And his theme, as you read through, is inclusiveness. Now, how does he connect to Judaism? What what Matthew does, when you read through the book of Matthew, and I hope you will, you're going to see that Matthew constantly interrupts his flow of thought by bringing some Old Testament verse into the conversation. And this is because he was writing mostly to Jews. They would have the whole Old Testament pretty much memorized and when they would read that and they go, oh, that's that's the connection. That's how this thing fits together. And that's what Matthew was doing. His inclusive theme, why would he do that? Why would he write it an inclusive way? Because he was outside. The first thing Jesus did was he brought in Matthew. He goes, Matthew, I know that the religious people reject you. Come and follow me. Be a part of what I'm doing. Be a part of what God is doing. And then Matthew, yeah, remember this, he threw a Matthew, we call it a Matthew party. He threw a party in honor of Jesus and he invited all his scummy friends, right? They, weren't other, they were other tax collectors. They were, they were people who were also rejected because of their failure to be moral enough. And, and so you can imagine the kind of people. In fact, the Pharisees showed up. They wouldn't go inside and they would ask the disciples who were there. They said, why does your, exact words, why does your master eat with such scum? that's how they viewed those people jesus is right in the thick of it that's why jesus was criticized for loving people who are unlovable but matthew is saying and they're included even when you read the genealogy which matthew starts his gospel with which it sounds like a boring thing name 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 if you read through the names you're going to find out especially women there's some women in there and you go wow those women. that woman was a prostitute what is she doing in the list of jesus of jesus genealogy right and that person was an outsider and He's showing you the inclusiveness of God that no matter how far you've gone, you're invited in too, just like Matthew was, who was here. So that's the theme of the whole book. It comes out over and over and over again. Let's go to Mark. Some people think Mark, the book of Mark, was written by John Mark, who was uh, working with Paul. And I don't don't know. I haven't landed on that. It's the earliest of the Gospels written. Um, There's good evidence for that in terms of textual criticism and thinking it through. And both... Matthew and Luke leaned into Mark as a resource when they wrote their Gospels. So when they wrote their accounts. And so Mark actually ends up being probably the simplest of the the stories or the the presentation of the Gospels. Um, He starts with John the Baptist. He doesn't start with Christmas like Matthew did and Luke did. He started with John the Baptist and he wrote through the resurrection and the following Christ. So he sets it up for the book of Acts, which follows the four Gospels. By the way, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm hoping I just catch the flow of it. You're good, okay? I know for some of us, this is like, Doug, we know this. I get that too. But it's important we talk about it. So he's a source for Matthew and Luke. Those three books, Matthew, Luke, and Mark, are called the synoptic gospels because they follow a very similar pattern. And and they start with Mark and then kind of based off it. So they're in sync with each, with each other, where John is different. And we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to read to you from the beginning of Mark, because I want you to catch what his message is, his goal is. He starts off just by announcing this is the good news. This is the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's declaring right from the beginning where he lands Jesus is the promised Messiah to the Jewish people, to the world. And he is the Son of God, whatever that phrase means that's jesus and then he goes on and he says it began just as the prophet isaiah had written so he's going back to the old testament for his jewish readers he's grabbing this prophecy this messianic prophecy that isaiah wrote and here's what isaiah said he said look i'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way he has a voice shouting in the wilderness prepare the way for the lord's coming clear the road for him right and everybody growing up knew those passages. And, and they're all wondering, who does that refer to? And Mark announces, this messenger was John the Baptist. And by the way, John the Baptist was famous. Everybody knew John the Baptist. He was so famous, Herod cut off his head. He knew, they all knew who he was. They all knew the ministry he had and how he was calling people to a, re- a renewed dependence and commitment to God, and he was baptizing people. So this messenger was John the Baptist. Now what's, what's Mark doing? He's connecting the Old Testament to John, who everybody knew, and then he takes John and John introduces Jesus and hands the baton off, and Jesus is the star, and that 's the rest of the gospel of Mark. He talks about that so Mark starts with John the Baptist, ties him to the Old Testament prophecy. this was not just another guy, this was the one that Isaiah was proclaiming, and then he ties Jesus to John the Baptist because John baptized Jesus and said, "'Look, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world so and he says that in the, in the book of John. We know that. So that's the connection, the pattern that that Mark takes. His desire is for his readers to see how it all fits together. By the way, this is when you read the Gospels. This is one of my favorite things about reading the Bible. You start to feel the puzzle pieces coming together. And this faith that has been puzzled out in different parts, you start to go, why we teach what we teach? Why we live what we live? What, how, what God was really doing? And there is something awesome about having it start to make sense and nobody can make sense of it for you there's nothing like reading it for yourself the bible connects us to our beginnings and our purpose from god right sometimes people say well what's the bible really all about Doug?" And i'll say it's about three things it's about who we are right how we were created what we were created for all those questions kind of genesis stuff who god is that's revealed through the whole bible you learn the character of god the ways of God, what God is thinking. He reveals it to us. And how we are to live, and if you want to put the word love instead of live or combine it, it's how we're to love, love and live, live and love. That's what the Bible's about, and that's what we we gain from it. If we start teaching other things than that, we're kind of, we're getting off base. We should be very careful about what we teach. Let me take you to the third gospel. It's Luke. Now, Luke was a physician and a companion of Paul. And Luke probably became a Christian through Paul, although we don't know that for sure. And what we do know is I don't think he ever met Jesus. He never met Jesus personally. He wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the hundreds that were following or thousands that were following Jesus. But he was alive during Jesus' time. And he was also likely a Gentile, which means he didn't have that Jewish background. So he's not like Matthew, where he's always taking the Old Testament and bringing it in. Um, to show the fulfillment of prophecy instead he's giving a very good description one of the reasons we like luke is because we're not we're gentiles too and we connect with luke fairly easily because of the way he wrote and he wrote it in an orderly way now let me take you to the beginning of luke so you kind of catch what luke is trying to do why he's writing it i love the fact when they go and here's why i'm writing it before they even tell you what they're saying so here's luke chapter one verses one through four many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been filled fulfilled among us Right? So he's already saying there's all kinds of documents floating around. Lots of people are writing. This is a very rich period of time for, for authorship about, about Jesus. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. He's saying, guys, this is not a stretch. The reason we believe this is because of the power of an eyewitness. An eyewitness versus someone who heard about two different things. One means something in the court of law and the court of history, and one means nothing. At all. A rumor doesn't cut it. But if you're an eyewitness, you can stand up and testify and tell the truth about it. And that's what he's saying. They used eyewitnesses. We can trust these eyewitness reports circulating among us from the, earliest, the people who were actually with Jesus and followed Jesus. Half, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, so Luke says, I, I'm doing the research, I'm a physician, I'm, I'm intelligent, I'm going to write this thing down. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you there's a lot of crazy stuff out there i'm going to try to write an accurate account for you who's he writing to most honorable theophilus so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught so you know it's not rumor so you know you just didn't grow in church so you don't have to believe in jesus because some group believes in jesus so you can believe because you've read about jesus you understand the claims about jesus and you get to make a decision about jesus because of jesus That's what he wanted for Theophilus, right? What did Theophilus need? He needed a reasoned faith. He needed to think it through. He needed an investigated faith. He didn't want to just have rumors. He wanted to be sure that he could trust it, and that's the last one. He wanted a trustworthy account. And so Luke delivered that to him, but he also delivered it to us, right? And this is really a big deal because when they write it down, when they write it down, it freezes the story, you don't understand what I'm saying? When you write it down, this is what happened. These are the, the the eyewitnesses. It freezes the story. If you don't freeze the story, stories become legend. You know what a legend is? How many of you are going to go see a Marvel movie ever, right? You know, Thor, God of Thunder. He's a legend. Was there actually a Thor at some point in time? I know people name their kids that, so there are a bunch of Thors. I don't know. Right? But But he wasn't God. He wasn't even a God. He was legendized over time. People would add to the story and they'd they'd bring it to a mythical level. It was like the evolution of Thor, if you could tell a story. That's what would happen with Jesus. It would be an evolution of stories and suddenly Jesus has lightning bolts coming out of his fingertips. Right? That never happened, by the way not in the Bible, so we don't think that ever happened. But if you allow the story just to morph out over time, anything could happen, and you end up with a superstitious sort of base belief of, of Jesus, which I would be one of the first people to walk away from because I'm not worshiping another Thor. I'm not even worshiping the first Thor. right? So, so this is what happened. When they wrote down these Gospels, it freezes the story. You don't get to add to it. You don't get to make stuff up. This is what the original people said. This is why the Bible is so incredible for us. Its it's first-hand accounts or well-researched and handed to us 2,000 years later. The early first-hand accounts of Jesus prevents what I call morphing. The story never morphs into something it wasn't. And so when we read the Bible, this is why we say read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, you, you get that confident picture understanding of who Jesus is. Now let me take you to the last gospel. It's the one, it's not the synoptic gospel, it's, it's John, and John is just different. I'm so glad that John wrote it down. It's John the Apostle, so he was with Jesus. And when you read through, you get these little personal notes sometimes, you go, okay, John. And some of it's funny, some of it's like, so we ran to the tomb, And Peter and and this other disciple ran there. And then what does it say next? Some of you know. The other disciple got there first. The other disciple was him. He was bragging up that he's faster than Peter. And I love that he did that. Because I would have done that. Right? Hey, I got there first. I'm just saying. Just saying. (laughs) Not trying to take the light away from Jesus, but I got there before Peter anyway. All right. So that's John the Apostle. And their youth kind of shines through that too, right? So it's, it's John the Apostle. It's the most personal it's the one where you hear those little stories and you read between the lines and it's humorous and it's fun, that kind of thing. It's the most theological. Why? It, w- it was the last one written, so it was, it's the newest one too. It was written before 70 A.D. So within you know 30 years, 35 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. But I don't think it, I don't think it was written at 70 A.D. Why do we say it was written before 70 A.D.? Because Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. And an event that big would have made it into the book, right? It would have changed the tone of the book. It would have changed everything. So we know it was written before that point in time. And it's like we say, it's, it's the newest. It's, it's, in some ways, I think it's the deepest uh, look at Jesus. So John, John takes a different approach. He connects Jesus not to just the Old Testament, but to creation and pre-creation. He's not just saying, oh, and he's the one who fulfilled what the Old Testament said. No, he was the one who was there From the beginning and before the beginning. Let me just take you back to the verses we saw on the screen earlier. John chapter 1, right out of the gate. This is how he does Christmas. It says, In the beginning. By the way, when you hear in the beginning, what does that remind you of? Genesis. Genesis, the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning. We don't have a better word for it than that. Before there was anything, it was the beginning. So, in the beginning, the word already existed. He could have said before the beginning. But he was echoing Genesis, so I think he said, in the beginning. So everybody would go, whoa. He's going all the way back to the very beginning. Was the Word. By the way, how did God create everything? Words. Words. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word is what speaks life into things, right? We're going to get to that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's saying the Word is Jesus, but he's saying the Word was with God and God, and this is part of our Trinity understanding, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in three different persons, expressions, manifestations. You pick the word. that they're all God. They're all one. Not one part of us, less God. Right? So the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, before the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. You know what he's starting with? Jesus is bigger than you think. Jesus is bigger than you can imagine. Jesus is more ancient. His body was just his flesh. But Jesus was God. And he was there before the beginning. The word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And his life, now, so he's saying life, this is, that's Genesis. His life, this is Jesus' first century, in the flesh, his life brought light to everyone. That's what Jesus did. But he's saying that Jesus is preexistent of his own self. I know, now we're starting to get confused. The light shines in the darkness. Now he's saying Jesus is the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. By the way, I, I said this first hour, sometimes I think people are worrying about declining number of Christians in the world. Can I just tell you, we, we are not going to go extinct. God's got his hand on us. The light will never go out. We continue to be, to, to be spread. The question is, do we want to be a part of it or not? Are we going to be in the light or live outside of the light? And that's what we're kind of talking about today. The darkness can never extinguish it. So now we're going to jump to John chapter 20. That's the very beginning. But now he tells the whole Jesus story. He tells the story of Jesus' ministry and his death and his resurrection. And after the resurrection, the disciples who saw Jesus die are in a room together, but not all the disciples there. Only 10 of the disciples. One one went out and killed himself, Judas, and one was missing, at least one was missing, Thomas. But the rest of the disciples are there, and Jesus appears to them after dying. They all watched him die on the cross. And there he is in the, in the flesh, and he has this conversation with them, and they're so excited about it. And they start talking about it. And this is where John picks up the action in John chapter 20. It says this. By the way, what we're getting to is John telling us what his dream and hope for us is. He said this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. I just told you that story. They told him, we have seen the Lord. They are so pumped up. They're so excited. They can't believe it. It's just, it's life. He's dead, but he's alive. You can not only imagine how they must have felt. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless. I'm not going to believe in Jesus anymore unless. Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands unless I put my fingers into them, unless I place my hand into the wound in his side, right? I love Thomas. I love Thomas because he, he, he wasn't quick. He didn't join the group. The group is all believing. He goes, guys, your faith isn't good enough. I don't care what you say. I need to find this Jesus for me. And, and I need empirical evidence, right? I need reasonable faith. I need an investigative faith. I need a trustworthy account just like Theophilus did. I need empirical evidence, Thomas says. I need to see for myself. And so right at the end of that story, John continues that story, and he says, eight days later. By the way, eight days later. Could you imagine those eight days? Eight days the disciples going Thomas 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 is going unless I touch him I just can't believe you guys are you guys are very persuasive but you're not that persuasive and eight long days right eight days later the disciples were together again and this time Thomas was with them he's not going to miss another meeting right (laughs) the doors were neither should you by the way no the doors were locked the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He's Jesus. He can do that, right? Peace be with you, he said. Probably shalom is what he said, right? Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Hey, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You need to touch me. You need to see me. And I'm just imagining no. <laughs> Can you? Jesus comes to you. And says, Come on, you need proof? Here I am. Touch, feel, see. He echoes the very words he said back to him. And Thomas just looks at him and says, my Lord and my God. And I don't think he touched him. Then Jesus told Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who's Jesus talking about? And the answer is everybody else. The answer is us. Blessed are you who believe without seeing. Jesus isn't saying just believe. That's it. he. He came and met Thomas's needs. You need to see. Okay, look, here I am. Touch, feel, see. Right. But but he said, blessed are those who don't need. Blessed are those who can who can embrace without touching and seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Now he's about to connect us to Thomas, okay? But these are written so that you may believe without seeing. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. In other words, by the power of who Jesus actually is. The one who is bigger than we can imagine, the one who's older than we can imagine, Because there is no age to God. And He's God. And that's where the power is coming from. And that's the invitation of John. That's why John wrote it. That's why Matthew wrote it down. That's why Mark wrote it down. That's why Luke wrote it down for Theophilus and all of us because we need something to believe. We can't, when we can, but we shouldn't just believe because other people are believing. We shouldn't believe because some pastor said something up front. We shouldn't believe because we heard a Bible study teacher say that's the way it is, so that must be true. He's saying, no, it's okay to dig deeper. It's okay to find your faith in a reasonable way. Now, let me take you back, because this connects to me personally. I grew up in a family that was practicing following Christ. We went to church. Both of my parents were Christians. I'm slow to say Christian families. I'm not sure they exist. It's God saves individuals, and together we make our families, I guess. But we were raised in the tradition of being a Christian. And when I was in high school, I pretty much was coming to a point where I was going to throw it all away because I realized that the only reason I was doing anything Christian was because of the family I grew up in. And I realized that I was missing out on a lot of stuff that my friends were doing. And I didn't like that, so I started doing the stuff my friends were doing because that was the group I was involved in. And my new group was replacing my old group for faith, and I came to a crisis point where I remember laying in bed saying, "God, you're either there, and Jesus, you're either the greatest truth, it's, it's, you're the savior of the world, you're you are everything, or you are the most fantastical lie that's ever been told, and you're deceiving billions. And it can't be both. It can't be a little bit of one, a little bit of the other. It's one or the other. This is either the greatest thing that's happened in the face of this planet ever in history." Lord is the greatest lie that's ever been told and we're wasting our lives. And that's when I read the Gospel of John. And when I read the Gospel of John, but, but I never really read the Bible for myself. Not, I read sections of it and hints of it, but I never read it. I'm going to read John. And as I started to read the book of John, it's like lights were going on. So that's why we think that. This is why we believe. The puzzle pieces started to come together theologically for me. Now, I was probably old enough, finally, 17 years old, to start to put the pieces together. I wasn't the smartest guy in the room. Some of you could probably do this at 12 years old or younger. But for me, it was reading it then. And, and between reading the content and I think the Spirit of God saying, see, Doug, see, Doug, do you see how this fits together? because I think God illuminates for us as we read. And I started to put the puzzle pieces together. And I realized something. I am Theophilus. I am Thomas. I had questions. I still do. I had questions for God about why I should believe and why I could exist and how can you expect me to believe? I haven't seen it. I haven't touched you. I haven't felt, and, and God met me where I was so that I could lean into him. What happened to me is I fell in love with Jesus. Not with church. I've never been in love with church. I like most of you, but not church. Right? I don't fall in love with theology because they're all out on the limb a little bit. You know, I mean, there's some basic stuff that I can go, amen, and then after that we're arguing and I don't want to. I don't have a lot of energy for that. Some of you are very invested in it. Good for you. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Right? So I'm not interested in making a living at it, even though it's what I do for, for, for you and for my family and for the church. I, I lead and I teach. But that's not what drives me. What drives me is I fell in love with God, with Jesus. And it happened because I went there for myself, and I didn't settle for the faith of my parents, and I didn't settle for the faith of my youth group, and I didn't settle for the faith of my grandma, and I didn't just keep the peace. I went on an investigation. Because ultimately, the only reason to follow Jesus is Jesus. Let me just pause for a moment, because some of you are not like me. Some of you are not theophilus and you're not thomas some of you heard the truth from your parents you went to church and heard it and you read it in the bible and you entered faith with confidence and you've never given it up and you've never shaken and you've never been really from the outside it looks like you've never been tempted i know that's not completely true right and i'm not telling you your faith isn't good i'm not but i am telling you we're not alike you some of us can't just believe and I don't think God says you have to just believe. I think it can be reasonable and investigated and thought through. And God speaks to you as you start to do that work. And by the way, like not only is the only reason to follow Jesus Jesus, but the only reason not to follow Jesus is also Jesus. So if you do the work of researching Jesus, and you go, I don't even like this Jesus. This Jesus just ticks me off and I don't want a part of it, at least, you re- at least you're rejecting Jesus and not Jesus because of us. I hope you don't do that. But if you do, at least you're rejecting Jesus because of Jesus. I'd much rather have you do that than, and do the work. And, and, and for me, I can't just believe, and I know some of us are like that. I don't think it's fair for the church to say, you should just believe, you should just believe, you should just believe. No, you should ask all the questions you want to ask. You should wrestle with everything you need to wrestle with because the more you wrestle with and the more you work at it, when you fall in love with Jesus, when you become convinced, you'll dive in instead of wait in. And you'll be all in. And that's what God is looking for. Borrowed faith only works for a little while. Borrowed faith is the faith of my parents and the faith of the group and the faith of the pastor and the faith of my church. It only works until I get a new group. It only works until I don't like it anymore. I need to own my faith. I needed to come to a place where I follow Jesus because I choose to follow Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. And especially those of you who are young, I hope you're hearing this. You Don't don't follow Jesus just because your parents, they're not going to make me say this out loud, don't follow Jesus just because your parents follow Jesus. Find Jesus. Look for the real Jesus. The only reason to follow Jesus is Jesus. All right, now I'm going to give you a challenge and then send you home. You ready? You got your Bible books, right, your phones? I'm going to ask you to read them. I'm going to give you a 21-day challenge, and the 21 days are to read 21 chapters of John. You're going to read through the whole book of John if you join me on this little adventure. It's just for the rest of March. It'll probably snow half the days. You get to read more <laughs> while snowing. Right? So there's 21, there's about 21... There's, there's, so March 30th, you'll, you'll be done if you start today. 31st if you finish tomorrow, so the end. But so I put in one day of grace in there. So if you blow it a day, it's okay. You've got to the 31st, right? But if you, if you blow it two days, then you've got to double time it and read more. Okay, so the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, a chapter a day. I want to give you how to read it. So if, I'm going to use something. I just came across this the other day. It's called SOAP. It's so simple. I just said, okay, that's it. So the S is read the scripture. You'll remember this because soap, it's easy. This will clean you up, right? Make observations. By the way, it's not just observations like and this and this and this and this. And it's also, why this? And how come that? And can I really believe this? And God, are you really, is, are you serious? I mean, it's all your, it's, it's questions and comments and whatever you're writing, you write it down. And observations, too. I mean, stick to the text and, and what you read there. And then it's application. Is there anything here that changes my life if I really believe this? If I believe this, does, is there a call to it? Is there a, a demand? What does it demand from me after reading this if it's true? Maybe you don't believe it's true yet. It doesn't demand anything. That's fine. But for those of us who are following Christ and we believe in Scripture, we should find what, what, is, what difference does it make. It's sort of the what and the so what. That's the so what is the application. And the last one is prayer. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you just have to do the observation. You could, you could just do so, <laughs> right? So you could read the scripture and do your observations, and you don't have to think about the applications yet. But I'm, I'm hoping you'll, you'll, you'll work it through. Now, here's the challenge. I want you to get a notebook of some kind, and I want you to actually write it down. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I hate this exercise. I don't like writing things down. Here's why I don't like writing down. I'm not a journaler because of this one fact. I'm so self-conscious as I do it. I'm thinking someone's going to read this someday. And then it makes me change what I write so that I look good for some future reader. Okay? So what I'm going to do after I do this is I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> it's going to be a fire or a shredding machine. There's going to be something. Because I, and I'm going to hide it while I'm doing it because I don't want anybody to actually know I'm doing it or to, you know, it's like a diary kind of feeling to it. I want to hide it and then I'm going to destroy it. You don't have to do that if you're less paranoid than me. I'm just that bad. All right, so... Soap, scripture, observations, applications, and prayer. It's a 21-day challenge. You start today, chapter 1. We've already read part of it for you, so you're on, on your way. And then after that one, maybe we'll, as we go through the series, we'll add another gospel to it because we are going to take a closer look at Jesus. And the only way to do it, the only way to take a closer look at Jesus is to go to the text and read it through. All right. I hope you're in. Let's pray. God, we... um. First of all, God, I'm so sorry for how we do church sometimes that we just want people to follow the group instead of following you. Follow the church instead of following you. And I don't want that for me and I don't want it for anybody here. So God, would you reveal yourself to us through the word? Would you help us to pick up our Bibles or our phones and and read and dig and pray? And would you bring the puzzle pieces together or bring some clarity to to what we understand about you? Would you renew our passion for you? And God, for some of us who've been keeping you at a distance, would would you help us to put down our our criticisms of your followers and look honestly at you and decide from what we see and know of you whether we want to follow you or not? God, I'm so grateful for each person here for your love for them, for your love for me. And for truth has been preserved so that it cannot morph. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.